Welcome back to Balagan. The night of May 17, 1977 will be always remembered as the night of the Ma'apach, or revolution, if you want, when after 29 years of ruling, the left-wing Labour Party lost the election to the right-wing Likud Party, and a new era in Israel had begun. Under the leadership of newly elected Prime Minister Menachem Begin, the state of Israel changed direction dramatically. Along with my guest today, we will dive deep into the years of transition from labor to the Likud. Our guest, Dr. Moshe Fuchsman-Shahal, is a lecturer in the Department of Communications and Political Science at Hadassah Academic College in Jerusalem. He is the former vice president of the Menachem Begin Heritage Center and the author of Ladies and Gentlemen, Revolution. Welcome, Moshe. How are you doing? And, uh, it's a great privilege to be to attend uh, your podcast, Balagan. I'm sure that uh, our listeners will enjoy the coming talk. I'm sure that you will have a lot to enlighten us, and uh, that's why you are here for, and I'm, I'm really grateful to have you here with us. Thank you. So, Moshe, where do we start? Would you like to give us some context about, you know, what happened prior to 77, or maybe a little about Menachem Begin itself? Well, uh, I think we should start in the beginning. <laughs> the beginning is always a good point to start with. Well, 77, as you said, was what we call political upheaval, uh, the Mahapah. And if you think about it, so uh, there are a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, professors who said that this was the point that Israel became a real democracy. Because uh, how do you examine if a country is a real democracy? If there is a transition of power, if the transition of power is actually can occur in a democratic country. And this was the first time, I know that probably for most of our listeners, they will be quite amazed from the fact that for 30 years, from 48 until 77, every election, uh, 77 was the ninth election of the state of Israel. So for eight elections, time after time after time, think for If we are thinking about the United States, eight election, time after time after time, there will be a president only from the Democratic uh, Party or only from the Republican Party. So they should understand that uh, the situation was really what we call the hegemony of the Israeli left. This is why the, the election of 77 was so important in the history of the state of Israel, that for after eight times, for the first time, the Israeli voter... got a different result after leaving the polls. This is why this election was so important uh, in our political history. And um, as you said, it was really kind of a revolution. And when they got the polls, you know, in 77 also, it was the first time that Israel imitated the United States and had an exiting polls in the election. And, uh, you know, they got the results of the exiting polls. And they saw that the Likud is like amazingly overwhelmed that he, the Likud, got really a great increase in power and the labor actually lost, I think, uh, it lost about 15 seats. And they were so amazed from the outcomes of their exiting poll that they thought not to broadcast it. And there was a big discussion in the Israeli television. Then we had only one channel. One channel. Should they broadcast it or not? And somebody said, if we will broadcast it, then it's, not, it's wrong, because it's the first time that we are doing this exiting poll, and perhaps the people try to, you know, let's say, to change their vote and not 
doing the exiting poll, but they voted in the real votes and the real polls, and uh, we will all be fired. And, you know, there was a big discussion in the evening, uh, should they broadcast it or not? So you can understand from only this small point or episode how difficult it was to understand. The first time Menachem Begin, the leader of the Israeli right, uh, I would say the man that, you know, Ben-Gurion didn't even want to call him by name. He used yes. to call him the man who sits near, next to Dr. Bader, who was the number two in the Herut party in the Likud. And even didn't want to call him that. So Menachem Begin was supposed to be like this kind of devil that was portrayed by uh, the left. And Ben-Gurion even one time wrote a letter to one of his really great authors, Chaim Guri, and he said that Begin is a Hitleristic type. So the hatred toward Begin and the emosity and so on. Uh, so it was so surprising and it was so hard to accept. And, you know, in the Knesset, for instance, the coalition sits to the left of uh, the speaker and the coalition sits to the right. And they didn't want to change seats because they said, right, for 30 years, the coalition said, the Labour said, we are sitting here in those seats. And it was only, you know, a few hours before they opened the new Knesset, the nice Knesset, that they agreed to move their seats from left to right. And uh, that's only show you about how amazing those elections were. I do want to make one note about what you said about Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin. Ben-Gurion really despised Begin, but actually his successors were in better relations with him. It was actually Levi Eshkol who had Herut to join the coalition in 1967 for a unity government just prior to the Six-Day War. But yeah, people couldn't believe that this change can happen in Israel. But we can say that only a few didn't believe, because eventually, Begin, he was able to break, I would say, to different communities in Israel and make an impact. And where was that? I mean, what made the difference in these elections? So that's a good question. What made the difference? I think it was really a process that you can see it from election to election. You can see an increase in the power of the Labour Party and the other workers' party that we had. We had the Communist Party, we had the Mapam, which was much more to the left of the Labour and so on. And you can see an increase in the power, of course, of the Likud. But what made that change, this big change in 77? And I think, first of all, if you are doing a little bit of zoom out, so if we take Begin in 77, we take Thatcher in 79, and we take Reagan in 1980, I think we should take all of those three elections in one aspect, because I think that uh, after the Second World War, there was this generation who were much more leaning to the left because they saw what happened, you know, in Germany and Italy with the fascist regime and the Nazi regime and so on. And there was, I think this generation thought that, uh, especially in Israel, that you need the state to be much more involved and the welfare should be much more involved in the country in order not to get to this kind of situation of such big gaps that can cause to such authoritarian regimes that they can uh, take power. And I think in 77 Israel, 78 or 79 uh, Britain and 80 with Reagan in the States, I think this is a new generation which more liberal views of economics and so on, much more Hawkian. And I think uh, we should also think about that in Israel, I think there was the Yom Kippur War, what uh, the October War, as other people call it, 
and uh, of 73, when I think there was uh, this crisis of uh, you know the many casualties that we had, the situation that Israel was on the break of uh, uh, of defeat, and this also caused I think a lot of people to start uh, thinking about perhaps this old uh, leadership of labor with Golda Meir and Rabin and Perez, which were successors of uh, Ben-Gurion and Eshkol and so on, thinking about perhaps uh, we should rethink about our leadership, this leadership that we trusted for 30 years, perhaps we should rethink about the new leadership and the importance of change in Israel. And I think also, uh, you know, after you are almost 30 years in power and you are winning the election time after time, I think uh, also you can see a lot of cases of corruption, right? Especially in the world of trials of corruptions, and uh, there were a lot of uh, cases that were in the journalists and and there were newspapers. I'm sorry, and uh, other places and the important files like Asher Yadlin and other leaders of labor. And I think this also caused uh, this feeling that it is time to have a change in Israel. Uh, so this was the first time, uh, this is perhaps the main first time in 77 that they had this kind of feeling that you need a change. Uh, so this is on one aspect. And the other aspect, as you said, I think the 77 was not the real Mahapach. I will, uh, <laughs> I know that you will be surprised, but I think that the real Mahapach, the real upheaval was in 81. I think that 77, the citizens of Israel said, we don't want labor anymore. But in 81, this was the election that they say we want Likud. Because in 81, the Likud reached to 48 seats in the parliament, which was the biggest result and the best result the Likud ever had from the beginning until our days. Until. And I think what happened in those four days that I'm writing about them in my book, between 77, the citizens of Israel said, we do not want labor anymore. And 81, when uh, they say we want Likud, this is what happened in the middle. And I think this is when Begin created in those four years his big coalition, what we call the National Camp Coalition, a coalition between Jews from what we call the Second Israel, Jews from the Arab countries, from uh, Africa, from deprived uh, uh, neighborhoods and, and cities and so on, with together with the ultra-religious parties, together with the national religious parties, and together with the Likud, and this coalition that he created in 77 changed Israel in those four years. And I think that this coalition was also responsible for the result in 81. They had this big majority in the Knesset. And I think for many years, I think even perhaps 30, 40 years later, this coalition that Begin created in those four years is still um, quite uh, influencing the political uh, system in Israel. So you're saying that he set the foundation for what is standing still in Israeli politics. The ultra-Orthodox, the religious, and the right-wing with the Likud. And until recently, the Arabs were a different fraction. Even today, you can say that they are a different fraction. But the left-wing, who is shrinking, and now is called the center-left in many cases, on the other side. I always saw it, and I want you to let me know what you think about it, that actually uh, Menachem Begin was, I would say in a way, the first Jewish prime minister. He had a really strong, some would say shtetl Jew, and some would just say a strong Jewish essence of being Jewish. I mean, right. if Mapai was trying to create the new Israeli or the new Jew, 
And eventually it failed. Begin actually came with a different sentiment. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, well, uh, as you said right correctly, that, uh, you know, when Begin uh, came to the States, I will, let's start with, you know, with this example. First visit of Menachem Begin as Prime Minister to the United States. If you are looking at this historical visit, and it was in the end of July 77, Begin, just a month after he was uh, nominated by the Knesset, but the authority of the Knesset for his uh, government, his government was approved by the Knesset, So he decided to, uh, of course, his first visit to the United States to meet the American president, Jimmy Carter. So if you're looking at only this visit, so what does the first thing that he's doing? He's landing in New York, not in Washington. And then he decides to meet with the three main rabbis, Orthodox rabbis, the three main leaders of uh, the Jewish Orthodox community in the United States. He meets Rabbi Soloveitchik. He goes to meet Rabbi Feinstein, who was the head of Agudat Israel was the party of the ultra-religious uh, Jews in the United States. And he meets the Lubavitcher rabbi. Chabad. Of Chabad, of course. And this was the first thing that he's doing. Like the prime minister, he goes to their home to accept their blessing to his visit and their approval. And only then he goes to Washington to meet uh, Jimmy Carter and to deal with him and to negotiate with him. And also, when he returned back to New York before the end of his visit, it was Tisha B'Av. And Begin is a traditional Jew. He goes to the synagogue. He takes off his shoes, sitting on the floor and uh, reading the prayers of Tisha B'Av. And, you know, when he was uh, interviewed by Meet the Press and Good Morning America was there, the big uh, you know, television show, the first thing that Begin He's answering the first question. He said, before answering the first question, I want to tell you this is a holy day for us, an important day for us. This is Tisha B'Av. And he starts telling the whole story in primetime America about what is Tisha B'Av and what does it mean for the Jews and so on. So yes, Begin was a different prime minister because he was a very Jewish prime minister, as you said. And you know that part of making this is big coalition, for instance, So the important part of his coalition to change Israel was the ultra-religious parties. And the ultra-religious parties, until, from 52 until 77, they decided that they are not taking part in any coalition. They are in the Knesset, in the parliament, but they are not taking part in any governmental coalition. And only Begin could take them back inside and bring them as a very important political player who takes part in government. And of course, leaning toward the right wing, toward the, the center right, toward Likud. This was the main change, because without that, he couldn't have this majority that he needed in parliament, and also other Likud, the leaders that succeeded him later. And uh, I think that only Begin could do that. Because if you see if it was, for instance, Shamir or anybody else, I don't think that they would uh, go with him as if they went with Begin. And also, you know, Begin, as you can see, also in our uh, the discourse, in the Israeli discourse, starting to say, God willing, I will uh, do that, or uh, with God's help, I will do that. So he brought yeah. back God into the Israeli discourse. And he was also very traditional. So he didn't observe the Shabbat, you know, and so on. But he did went to the synagogue and he did make Kiddush and so on. 
And if we are talking about 77, Israel was very secular then. Because if you're speaking about Ben Gurion, who didn't want to get married in the synagogue, but he married in the city of New York. And, you know, other leaders of labor, they were very secular and so secular. on. And this was yeah. also a very important change that Begin did. When we talk about uh, the ultra-Orthodox, eventually it has a strong impact until today. But I want to ask you a question because I think it's connected. I mean, it's not connected to 77. But do you think that the ultra-Orthodox went with him because they were leaning to the right or just because they got the budgets and got whatever they want? Eventually, some of his actions and some of these government's uh, actions actually had a bigger impact on what's happening today in Israel. For example, if we're talking about the service in the army, that is a big argument among Israelis. Until 77, there was a cap of ultra-Orthodox who joined the, the IDF. And starting 77, or actually 78, if I remember correctly, 77. I mean, it was 77, it was one of the first decisions, right, made by the government, right. is that every ultra-Orthodox who, what we say, says that it's Torato o Manuto, okay, doesn't need to join the army and can go to the yeshiva and study. Right. You know, you mentioned it, it was very important for them, but you're right, Begin did cancel the limit. There was a limit... Yeah. On the number of Orthodox that can uh, not go into the army and say to Rotom and say, I'm in the Shiva and I'm not going to the army. And Begin canceled this limit, it was very important to them. But if you're looking at that time, they never reached the limit. So every time they changed the limit and so on. So this was important for them, but not so much. What was more important to them was the issues of women enlisting to the army. This is why they left in 52 and said, we will never take any more part in the government of the state of this secular state of Israel. And uh, what Begin did in 77 was making the women that says, I'm religious and I don't, uh, I don't. I want to go to the army, to the enlist. They didn't have to go to the military and explain, and then they would investigate her. Do you really religious? If you're religious, so what do you do with milk and meat? What do you do with that? And Shabbat and so on. But she could just bring a letter from a rabbi and so on. So it was much more easier. So this was the main issue that they were very, it was very important for them. And this also made them enter. But also because, as we said before, begging was really an orthodox in his soul. And for instance, you know, Begin, one of his uh, decisions was to close Elal on Shabbat. And this wasn't a demand by the religious, close Elal on Shabbat, flying on Shabbat. This wasn't uh, something that the auto-religious asked. Begin said, I, as the Jewish prime minister, cannot bear the thought that our national plans with the Star of David on their tail will land and will uh, from airports all around the world. And this is for me, is like saying that the Jewish people had forgot the Shabbat. The Jewish people say we don't need Shabbat anymore. And one of his decisions was that we are closing Elal from flying on Shabbat, the only national, I think, airline that uh, is not flying seven days a week, but uh, on uh, Friday evening decided not to fly until the, uh, what we call the end of Shabbat and Shabbat uh, evening and so on. So you can see that they were very close to him because of that. Tradition. Yes, for his tradition. So he was very... Also, they felt that there is a change, I think, in, the, in Israel, that he came to power. They really thought about it. And for instance, after he got the nominee from the president to try and to form a government, 
he went to the Western Wall and prayed. And then he went to Rabbi Tzvi Yuda, who was the son of Rabbi Cook, a very important rabbi in Israel. They really feel that there is a change and they don't need to be outside of the camp because suddenly they felt that there is a new atmosphere, a new spirit. And also this was very important to them. So if we're going to tradition, there was another fraction of the society that was more traditional. And that is, of course, what we call uh, Amizrachim Israel. Most of them lived in the periphery or what you'll call even social periphery, because I remember in Jerusalem, the poor neighborhoods at that time, nobody will believe us saying that uh, Musrara was a poor, <laughs> was a slum. <laughs> so how did they interact with the Mizrahim and what was the change made in that term in Israeli politics? Do you want to explain it a bit about what are Mizrahim or do you want uh, me to explain? I think it's better if you'll elaborate a little bit about the Mizrahim and then, you know... Okay, so Mizrahim are Jews that came from Arab countries, from uh, North African countries, like Morocco and so on, Egypt, Iraq and so on. And uh, they came in the 50s, while uh, most of, you know, the Jewish immigrants that were here were already... Mostly came from, uh, let's say, uh, Europe and so on, from Poland, from East Europe, and so on. And of course, there was this gap between those two communities that was uh, also, I would say, a big gap in the, in Israel, a social gap, and you say in the periphery and so on, and a big a gap of tensions between the communities. And as we know, uh, Badi Salib uh, riots, and we know the other riots that we had, the Black Panthers riots that we had, and so on. So, uh, begging, you know, I would start with another example. You know, Toni Morrison, who was the famous American, Afro-American writer uh, that got the Nobel Prize, said about Bill Clinton that he was the first Afro-American president. And yeah. when asked her why he was the first Afro-American president, she said, well, he liked, uh, you know... He played jazz. the sax, no? And he played the saxophone, right? <laughs> and also that he's coming from a very poor country and a poor family, and you know, and so on. And Begin was considered by a lot of those, uh, this community of the Mizrahim, as you said, also as part of them that he didn't were born in Poland, but he was born in Morocco and so on, because they were very close to him. First of all, because he was very traditional. He didn't try to change them, like Ben-Gurion tried, or Labour tried to change them, didn't try to Hebraize the names. Like Ben-Gurion was very insisting that everybody who came with my name, like Fuchsman, became in Shal or your name. You, know, you have a Hebraized I have coin. I'm the one you percent of the Nobody Jewish people, to. okay? Right, nobody wants to change quite, but <laughs> if you were a Flittlebaum or if you right. were a so nobody would try to hybridize their name, nobody tried to change their identity to a new Israeli secular identity. And, you know, they used to say that Ben-Gurion used to come to the, uh, I would say, to the Mabarot, to where they were brought to, you know, to their tents and so on. Uh, he used to come with uh, short trousers and short uh, slips and so on. And Begin used to come, you know, with his suit, with the tie and so on, giving their uh, respect and so on. And if you look already in the underground, you know, Begin was the leader of the Ilbun Svei one of the main underground. And if you can see there already, 
while the Haganah or Palmach who were underground were identified by the left, uh, the Mizrahim were not welcomed. Uh, usually there were people there mostly from Eastern Europe countries and so on. But if you look at the Irgun Tzvei Lumi, the underground, the begging leader, and you can see there are people there, you can see Barazani and Feinstein, you can see Elkachi and Weiss and so on and so on. And you can see that they were very welcome there and they fought apart there. And since then, since the beginning, before the pre-state uh, situation, the pre-state uh, period with the underground, you can see already they're there. And also afterwards, I think they also felt that like Mapai rejected Begin and Ben-Gurion rejected Begin, as we said before, didn't call him by name and rejected them from any, you know, there was a boycott called Without Herut and Maki, okay. bringing uh, to any coalition, not in the municipality, not in the national, nothing not bringing the people of the right wing. But, uh, and they felt that as they were sent to the periphery in the south and in the north of Israel, to the, it was a social periphery and also economic periphery and so on. They felt that I think probably it was kind of a pack between uh, the periphery, the political periphery, and that uh, I would say the social periphery together. And they felt this togetherness uh, with Menachem Begin. And also, as you said, uh, the T is becoming, speaking to them Jewishness, not Israeli, speaking them as a Jew to a Jew and not as an Israeli, secular Israeli, that they, I wouldn't say that they didn't see this kind of identity as the identity that they prefer. They prefer much more traditional Jewish identity than the secular Israeli that labor represented. Uh, so this was, of course, uh, one of the most important pacts in the Israeli politics. And, you know, we say about Shas, Shas today, the party of uh, Arya Deri, of Arav Ovadia Yosef, and so on, uh, which identified with the ultra-religious Mizrahim. Shas was established in 84. Only after Begin left the Likud and uh, resigned from office, only then Shas could be established. And this is as, a, as a national party. At first, in 83, they were running for the Jerusalem municipality, actually. Right, right. right. So this is show you how strong was uh, this identity. Menachem Begin is the first like, Mizrahi prime minister, although he wasn't Mizrahi. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, we're talking about tradition and uh, growing in Jerusalem. And I'm half, uh, what you'll call in American, half Sephardic, half Ashkenazi. You know, I still remember that everybody in my neighborhood, they used to smoke, go to the shul, you know, on Erev uh, Shishi on uh, Friday night, and then go to see uh, Betar or Apoel. I was Apoel, but, uh, you know, football games on Shabbat. So it all worked out, but they were closer to the Jewish tradition of doing the Kiddush and having the, the strong Jewish essence embedded in them. But eventually, I mean, when we're looking at Begin, he was actually also the first one to put them as as legitimate, I would say, uh, members of the Knesset and members of his cabinet, if I remember correctly, right? That was also the first time that we had, uh, not the first time, but I would say that they were not... um, No, no, it was. It was the first time that uh, the first Israeli government that in 77, that we didn't have any minister that came from the kibbutzim, but the first time that there was a minister coming from the development towns of uh, Betshan, David Levy. So this David was the Levy. first time that we had a minister coming from this development town 
that we had in uh, Israel. And the first time that we didn't have any member of the kibbutzim. So this was very, also very symbolic. And by the way, for David Levy was, I think, number 11 in the list of the record. And the people that came before him, like Tzhak Shamir and Misha Arendt, didn't got the place in the cabinet because Begin, uh, he didn't have enough seats in cabinet that he could be in charge of. Uh, but he decided that David Levy will be in order to have this symbolic thing. And also, if you look at their list of the Likud in 77, you can see a lot of young people from this development town. Yeah. Uh, like we have uh, Moshe Katsav, who became head of the president. We have Meir Shitrit, and we have David Magen, and uh, other people that uh, had in this list uh, that really show you how actually the Likud, and Begin brought them, of course, to the Knesset, and uh, bringing them to the front stage of the Israeli politics. And also we have to speak about Project Renewal that Begin initiated, that was the biggest social project ever uh, in the state of, in the history of uh, Israel. And you can see those poor neighborhoods, as you said before, that didn't have any football uh, courts, playgrounds and so on. And the situation was very bad. And Begin actually transferred a lot of funds to these uh, poor neighborhoods and development towns. and Rehabilitation, of, right? Right, of rehabilitation. It was a social rehabilitation and a physical rehabilitation. And he also he brought them back their pride. I know living in a neighborhood doesn't look like a slam, but look, you know, renewed and uh, with proper, I would say, uh, infrastructures not only in the north of Tel Aviv, but also in the south of Tel Aviv. And uh, I think what happened in 81, that they really voted for him and uh, increased the power of the good. Also, there is big reforms. He had other reforms also, you know. Until 77, it used to cost money to study in the last uh, you know, classes of high school, in the 11, and, uh, 12, and uh, 10th grade. And Begin canceled it. And there was a law that give you basic income that Begin initiated and so on his government. So yes, there was a big project that really helped what we call the Mizrahi Jews that uh, lived in the poor neighborhoods and the development towns. So we covered the social aspect of the change. And I do want to go, you know, we still need to cover economic and the security measurement and, the, you know, um, diplomatic efforts, because we can't forget that eventually... Menachem Begin was one of the architects of the peace, the biggest peace agreement that Israel ever had, which is the peace agreement with Egypt, of course. But if we touch social, let's go to economic, because uh, one of the biggest changes was changing the economy from, I would say, a center-oriented uh, or self-made-oriented uh, uh, economy into a more global economy. So would you like to elaborate on that or? Yes. Uh, so first of all, as you said, I think that it was even worse than that because uh, Israel used to be the democratic country or the Western country, which the economy that was resembling, was the economy that really resembled uh, the Eastern uh, bloc or the Soviet Union bloc, because 70 uh, It was socialist, it wasn't communist. No, it wasn't communist, <laughs> of course, it was socialist, right? But there was like 70% of the Israeli economy was either by the working union 
that was needed by labor or by the government. So this was the number. 70% of the Israeli economy used to be, my father actually worked in one of those factories. It's called the Shanim and Khomari. And this factory, for instance, you know, always got subsidized and there was all kinds of uh, taxes that they prevented from bringing, you know, uh, similar products from abroad and uh, preventing and so on in order that this factory will work and uh, will be uh, successful. And uh, so this was the Israeli economy when Begin arrived in 77. 70% is uh, only 30% was free economy, free enterprise and privatizing and so on. And what Begin did was a very important reform. First of all, he brought Milton Friedman. Uh, Milton Friedman, as everybody knows, was the high, I say, priest of the free economy, free market. And he brought it to Israel in order to give lectures to the leaders of the Ministry of Finance and with, you know, in the universities and to try to change the public opinion. And uh, he privatized important banks like uh, the Mortgage Bank, Fahot, like the industry bank that were owned by the government. And, you know, in 1977, the shekel, the Israeli currency, was controlled by the government. The government controlled the Israeli currency and decided what will be the rate of the shekel to the dollar and to the pound and so on. And Begin said, no, if we want to have uh, private funds coming to Israel, we need to cancel this uh, government uh, overseeing of the currency. And uh, also, I think, reducing of taxes, which was very important. We had, uh, you know, all kinds of taxes like... Um, Taxes about inherent taxes that the government took from what you inherit from your parents and grandfathers and so on. And there was the taxes on uh, buying tickets for abroad. And there were other important taxes that Begin reduced and tried to open the market. And uh, as I said, privatizing of banks. And, uh, there were, and I think what was more important was the consciousness. That means for the first time, you know, labor was very uh, socialist Democrat party with the red flag, the 1st of May. They had the Istadurst, of day, Right, the working union and so on. And suddenly, you know, looking at uh, capitalism, not as being, say, like it wasn't like considered to be anymore like a bad thing, but actually like investing in the stock exchange. In those times when Begin came to power, it was considered to, you know, something that people who doesn't have any work, like they are, they're investing in the stock exchange. And if you look also after the labor, that after 77, they also, till 77, they're speaking about socialism and so on. But after 77 and 81, they are starting to speak about moderate capitalism or planned capitalism, or all kinds of these things that they didn't spoke about before. So this was a very important uh, change in Israel. And Begin uh, tried to open the Israeli economy. Of course, we had the uh, big rates of inflation that fell out and so on. But yes, this was really an important thing Begin government did. And um, I think until today, we are still uh, feeling that change from one kind of uh, economy, national economy, to a free economy, to a much more you know economy that's based on money, on uh, high-tech and uh, so on. It started there. It's interesting, you know, you're mentioning that your father used to work, so he had the, the Pincasa Dome, right? Because technically what Moshe was saying, and I do want to elaborate a little bit about that, I mean, 70% of the market was actually operated by uh, what we call Histadruta of Dim, Histadrut. And if you didn't have the red 
הפנקס האדום, like the red, uh, the red card, you were banned from work in some places. You could not work, you could get the good jobs only if you were a part of this huge organization that eventually had a party. At that right, you know, and, and a lot of people are asking me all the time, how come that, you know, that uh, usually the workers in Israel lean to the right, to the Likud, and while the people who are like the directors and the more like, uh, I don't know, of the company and the managers are leaning toward the left. Because, you know, in Britain and other parties, in Europe especially, the workers are, you know, coming and voting for labor, like the workers. And Israel was another way. Because, and I think, because as you said, in order to be a manager or to go in the ranks of the, of the factory, you need a red card. So the labor, the people who work, you know, the workers in the uh, lower strata of the companies used to be, you know, people who not even had the ties in the party, in the labor. And so this is what happened for many years that the workers leaned to the good, leaned to the center parties, to the right-wing parties. And uh, more, you know, people who are the director, the people who lead the factories actually linked to labor. So this was also uh, very funny that, uh, how to explain this change. So uh, this is also part of this. And a byproduct of it, uh, which I'm saying, you know, uh, was also weakening the workers' unions because one of the biggest clashes the government had was with the workers' unions. But eventually it came up, I mean, it was more dramatic in 1985, and that's a couple of years later than right. when we're talking. Uh, <laughs> right, but 85, you know, couldn't happen if there wasn't 77. If there wasn't 77. Uh, the political change. Because, yeah. in, you know, in 77, when they tried to do those changes, the working unit said never, and they won't let it. But in 85, after Labour became a unity government and Shimon Peres, the vice chairman of the worker international organization, he could enforce those working unions to agree to that thing. So what Beggy wanted to do from the beginning. Moshe, we are bringing so much information to our audience. I'm really grateful that we'll be able to actually split it into two episodes. So on the next episode, we're going to discuss the diplomatic side and the security measurement side of the first Likud party under uh, Menachem Begin. But is there one last thing you want to say that you haven't told our audience about whatever comes in the social or economic aspect of the change that was made? I think we actually covered most of uh, those aspects. Uh, but I, uh, it was a real change. And I think that uh, this change really affected those four years, affected 40 years forward. Yeah, we can definitely feel it until today. Right. And uh, I want to thank you, Moshe, for joining us and uh, bringing all of this information to us. Thank We're going to continue it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.